Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. And welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, I'll be joined by the head of Cisco in Ireland to talk about the digital development of the country. Plus, we'll look at the benefits of the Digital Services Act once it comes into play. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. But first, how much are you paying for your mobile network every month? Would you like to pay less but not compromise on the quality of the offering in terms of signal and allowance? Well, as you may be aware, GoMode, the digital mobile network, entered the market a number of years ago and has been shaking it up ever since. And it continues to do so with news this week of an increased roaming allowance for consumers. Keelan Donoghue is the director of mobile at GoMo and he joins me now. Keelan, you're very welcome to the show. Um, just remind us... I suppose, of GoMo's offering and where it is positioned within the mobile market. Yeah, so thanks, Jess, for having me. So, yeah, GoMo launched um, just short of three years ago, back in October 19. And when we launched, what we wanted to do is bring something completely new and revolutionary to the Irish market. And I think we did that with what we introduced. So what it was back then was uh, for 9.99 a month, customers got all calls, all texts, all data, and again, it was a monthly price of only 9.99. And what we brought for the first time ever to the market was a price for life. Uh, so that meant that the 9.99 price the customers got back then is the same price they pay today. And what it was is just a, a complete end-to-end uh, digital only journey. So on gomo.ie, customers simply enter their details, uh, pay their 9.99, and then they're up and running in a matter of days. Uh, so for us, it was something completely new. And, you know, three years later, we have over 300,000 customers now on the GoMo brand. So uh, it's definitely something we think has worked and the market has reacted really positively to. Yeah, so the price point has uh, increased slightly since that time. It's now fourteen ninety nine a month. And for that, you are getting your calls, texts and data. And as I mentioned at the top, we're talking because of an increase in the data roaming allowance, which is now 13 gigs. Is that 13 gig a month or what way does that work? Yeah, so again, the 1499, as you said, if, if you joined up at that chest, that's a price for life. So we've kept that promise and that's the price you pay. And so we've always had uh, EU roaming. What we've done in recent weeks is we've further increased the allowances that customers get. So every month as part of a customer's allowance, they get 13 gigs of uh, EU roaming and that's 4G EU roaming data. And we've also done to keep it really simple uh, because that's very much part of the, the, the premise of GOMO simplicity is that whether a customer is on 9.99 from, from launch, 12.99 or 14.99, all of those customers will get that 13 gigs of EU roaming data to use a, across Europe in, um, in the coming weeks and months. So it's, it's really good news for GOMO customers today. One thing that I've been always um, curious about, I suppose, when it comes to GOMO is how can GOMO do this? Because... Up until uh, recently, very recently, you know, the only options for people were to be on a bill play, a bill plan where they would pay, you know, 40, 60, 80, maybe even 100 euro a month. Or they would top up their device, the pay as you go system of, you know, whether it's a 10 or credit or 20 or 30. It all adds up, obviously. But how can GoMo make such an attractive offering at such a low price for a sustained period of time for the 300,000 customers that you've just mentioned? 
Yeah, I suppose the key to it is just it's a firstly a digital only brand. So uh, there's no stores, there's no telesales. It's all done through online, which, you know, we know in the last few years, more and more customers are really happy and prefer to do all of their business online. You know, we do have a customer care. So all of our customer care is through web chat or email or indeed through our social channels. But I suppose because of the simplicity of the offer, it's one plan, it's one price each month, it's all your calls, all your data, all your texts, your even roaming. Um, so for us, it, it makes sense. It makes sense for the customer at $14.99 a month. We've over 300,000 customers to join. So that's lots of customers paying uh, $14.99 or $12.99, $9.99 a month. Um, but, you know, the, the price for us is just great value. Uh, and with 300,000 customers on, it's working. So for us, it's a win-win for customers and it's a win-win for us. So, yeah, it makes mm. sense. As we've spoken about on the show before, uh, these digital networks such as GOMO, they are streamlined, very slim operations. So for those who don't know, actually, the GOMO network is a little sister of AIR, uh, which is obviously a huge business employing lots and lots of people around the country. How many people are working directly on the GOMO brand? Uh, it's it's very it's very small. It's in single digits in terms of on the commercial side, you know, single digit numbers who work in it. And then there's a, a small uh, team of uh, dedicated uh, agents in 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 Limerick who are based, and that that will go up and down as the needs arise. But again, it's very light touch. You know, the only reasons customers contact us is very much for you know roaming query, porting their number, or they're looking to. Uh, add another SIM to their GOMO account. So for us, because of simplicity, Jess, the good news is it doesn't take a lot of people to work on this. So there's a small uh, commercial team that just makes sure that the offer is, is, we keep adding to the offer. So, you know, last year we offered Wi-Fi calling to all our customers. Now we're increasing roaming data. So uh, so it's a small team, but a small team very much dedicated to the GOMO values of simplicity and, you know, giving that great value each month. You mentioned there the 300,000 customers that have signed up to GOMO, which is an incredible number. Uh, particularly when, you know, as you mentioned, it's only three years old. So when you have that in mind and you hear 300,000, that is phenomenal growth. Since the arrival of GOMO, though, there have been other digital networks that have sort of entered the fray. Um, Have you noticed a slowdown in terms of the uptake because there are other players now doing something quite similar in the market? Um, yeah, obviously when we launched Jess, uh, we you know the nine ninety nine price was phenomenal, and we offered that for the first hundred thousand customers, um, and that lasted a couple of months. You know, so we had a hundred thousand customers on pretty quickly. But to be honest, you know, I was looking at this recently. Um, so every single month since we've launched, we have seen consistent, continued growth in in our in customer numbers, um, and I think you know the core. Uh, brand values of GOMO, you know, that single monthly price, that really e- easy customer journey, that price for life, which is a promise we kept and, you know, made and a promise we've kept. So we're not really seeing any leveling off. You know, customers are more and more facing price, you know, uh, cost of living challenges. More and more customers like this digital only way to do their business. And um, they've heard really good things about GOMO. So, you know, our numbers are increasing each month. And, you know, the way things are going in terms of buying online and people looking to reduce their mobile costs, looking for assurance around that monthly cost. Um, you know, we see that the sky's the limit for GOMO. So a long way to go in terms of customer numbers, just no leveling off. One of the other big changes that's happening at the moment, uh, right across the board on all of the big, in air quotes, traditional mobile networks is the rollout of 5G. Um, As I mentioned there, GOMO is a little sister of uh, AIR. And as we know, AIR is doing the rollout of 5G at the moment. Uh, Is there any plans to introduce 5G on the GOMO offering? 
Uh, yeah, as, as you mentioned, Jess, um, we, uh, Goldmore customers do work on the air network and they get all of the benefits of air's investment in 4G and 5G, which, you know, there's been a lot of independent uh, verification of uh, air's 5G network. But uh, for today, it's it's something we're looking at. It's something that, you know, will eventually come. But for now, uh, nothing to announce on the 5G, 5G front for Goldmore customers, Jess. In terms of customer retention, uh, you know, when you look at consumer trends over the last three years or thereabouts, when people sign up, are they sticking with you? Do you get any sense of maybe the GOMO SIM is their second SIM or is the majority of people, are the majority of people porting their numbers across um, to be full-time GOMO customers? No, absolutely. The, the customers that are joining GOMO are very much staying, staying with GOMO. Like the level of churn, industry churn um, versus GOMO is, is so low. You know, so the amount of customers that have that 999 price, the vast, vast majority of those customers who got that 999 have stayed because they know if they leave, they're not getting it back. Um, and versus the rest of the market, it's it's just unbeatable. And even those customers joining at 1499, you know, we're seeing they're moving their number over. It's not their second number. This is their primary number. And this is not just, you know, the younger market, which GOMO would have just initially targeted. This is all cohorts of the market. You know, we see parents buying SIMs for their for themselves and then adding children. You can add up to four SIMs on your GOMO account. So, no, this is this is a person's primary number. And once they join GOMO, uh, we see very few customers leaving. Um, in fact, you know, as I said, the churn rates we would see would be, you know, extremely low. And I think that's also thanks to the, you know, the customer care team in Limerick. You know, so if there is any queries, you know, we're right onto it. It's open seven days a week. Customers love dealing via web chat or on the social channels and they, they love dealing with us that way. So again, again, once they come to GOMO, yeah, they're, they're staying for life with that, with, that, with that price for life. And that's a big thing for them. They know they have that price for life. Uh, and it's something the customers really value. One of the things that uh, jumped out at me initially when GOMO was launched was the fact that there would be no store presence. There's no physical presence of GOMO. There's the website, which is very, you know, matter of fact. It's no frills. It's to the point. Uh, There's no stores, as I mentioned. The support is pretty much all done online. Are there lessons to be learned uh, from a business point of view looking at the GOMO model, looking at how, you know, there's no fat, it's very much just focused on the job at hand. Yeah, the core is the core challenge there was to take away the reasons for customers to call. So again, have one price to choose from, have everything included in the right price, have a service that really works, have a really simple bill when they get it, no uh, additional charges that they're not expecting. So the key really, Jess, is that very few customers have a need to call us. But again, it's about having a really engaged team that are passionate about GOMO. They all use GOMO. And again, they're available seven days a week across the types of channels that customers want to use today. Customers want to deal via web chat. They want to deal via social channels, via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. That's how you know customers like to deal with us. But the key is then a response, a really quick response with really clear answers and a first-time resolution. And that's what customers are getting for GOMO. So yeah, the lessons are learned of keep it really simple for customers. And if they have to call you respond really quickly and and through the channels that customers want to deal with today i'm not sure every customer wants to go to a shop they just want their their question answered really quickly and that's what the gomo care team down in limerick are doing for customers so it's working really well for us and uh, uh, you know aside from being a challenge of gomo i think it's really part of the reason why gomo has been such success i think the care the customers are getting is actually part of the success as opposed to being a challenge I asked you about uh, 5G earlier on, but I'm just wondering for the customers who have signed up either on the 999, the 1299 or the 1499 plans for life, are there going to be, are you confident that there will be more features 
added into the mix so that those customers will stay with you. So whether that is 5G or any other innovation that comes down the line. Yeah, if we think there's things that customer need, we'll definitely add that over time. So obviously the, the basics of calls, text and data, that was unlimited at the start. Um, roaming was something that's always been included and we, we've increased that in line with, you know, the EU regulations, but we've also gone over and above what the EU requires to offer. You know, Wi-Fi calling was something that, that was available to us to use. And again, for customers who may have not had a sufficient indoor coverage, especially those working from home. Um, so that's something we introduced uh, last year for all GOMO customers at no extra charge, regardless of the price they pay. It was just seamlessly rolled out as an additional benefit. So, yeah, so if there's other things that we think our customers on GOMO need to enhance their service, uh, very much the intention would be to roll that out at the same monthly cost. All right, great stuff. Well, look, as I said, I, I'm incredibly impressed uh, with the GOMO offering. I signed up, I pay in full uh, myself every single month for the last few months, and I've been blown away by the reliability of the service, but also just the value for money. I think it's a great offering. Uh, that is Keelan Donoghue, Director of Mobile at GOMO. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks very much, Jess. Now, earlier this week, Joe Lynham and Gavin McLaughlin of Breakfast Business kicked off a new summer series where they sit down with different influential figures from the world of business. First up was Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue. And Joe and Gavin asked the minister if he found it harder to respond to the pandemic or the inflation crisis we're currently facing. The pandemic. Uh, because if I uh, look at the challenges that we are confronting, uh, our history and economic history and modern economic history does provide some guides regarding how these scenarios can unfold and what the appropriate policy response is. But there's no playbook for this. With the pandemic, there was little uh, history that was of help in guiding an economic response. The last time uh, we had a pandemic that shaped the world was the Spanish flu in the 1913-1914. And even though that was a globalised economy, it was a profoundly different kind of globalisation to the one that we have with economies that were in a very different shape and level of modernisation than we have now. So by some way, uh, the pandemic posed a greater shock. And while our inflationary challenges, of course, are also severe and pose a challenge to many, the pandemic not only posed a gigantic economic challenge and a profound one, it was killing people. Talk to uh, me so for all those reasons, that pandemic was the moment the of test. Talk to me about what it was like in that first week in March. We were in an atmosphere of absolutely profound uncertainty. I think with the passage of time and the return of health to many, we can occasionally, and I think by and large this is a positive thing, we can retrofit into periods of great uncertainty, feelings of certainty that were not there at the time. Uh, The reality is across that period from March up to July, August, uh, we were in an atmosphere of profound challenge with the real risk that we were facing an Irish, European and global disruption to which the only comparison would have been the, uh, you know, the great crash that uh, took place after World War I. Mm. Uh, But running alongside that, Joe, was also the sense of this is the time in which having a healthy public finances and a creditworthy state, state, this is the moment in which these things have to count. 
So at the same time, what we were trying to do really quickly is figure out how we would respond back and how we could critically do it really quickly. What do you think we're facing into now? Are we going to go into recession? So if I look at where we are with our growth forecasts and the performance in the economy at the moment, uh, all of those would point to a significantly lower level of growth uh, with the risks that have occurred rather than a recession. Uh, however, a recession is a risk. And since we move... Even in, in Irish GDP terms, because Irish GDP is kind of a funny indicator. Uh, well, the with GDP, of course, because it is difficult to measure and because it is difficult, therefore, to forecast it, it is um, particularly difficult to form a view there regarding what could happen to GDP in the future. I think it is still very possible that we would see GDP grow, but we would see it grow at a slower rate. But in other measures of how we would look at our economy, it is a risk. Is it a risk that is materialising at the moment? No. Is it a risk that we believe will happen for next year with the risks that are currently occurring within our economy? No. But could things happen uh, elsewhere in the global economy later on this year that could trigger, trigger these risks? The answer is yes. That was Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue speaking to Joe Lynham and Gavin McLaughlin on Breakfast Business earlier this week. That's part of their summer series. They have some fantastic interviews coming up over the next few weeks. You'll be able to find them all if you just search for Breakfast Business wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Now, when we come back here on Newstalk, we're going to chat to the MD of Cisco in Ireland about building a more inclusive digital Ireland. Tech Talk on Newstalk. With VMware, free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. As ever, you can drop me an email, techtalk at newstalk.com if you want to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Uh, and earlier this week, Cisco unveiled a number of initiatives uh, to try and build and get the most out of an inclusive Digital Ireland. Uh, and I'm delighted to have Shane Herity, the MD at Cisco Ireland, with me now to talk through elements of this. Um, Shane, you're very welcome to the show. Before we get into, uh, I suppose, the crux of this issue and the Digital Ireland, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about Cisco as a company? Yeah, absolutely, Jess. Well, well, look, at, at a very high-level overview of Cisco, you, you know, we're, we're 38 years in existence um, with, with just over 80,000 employees now spread across 95 con- countries, uh, you know, and we really uh, pride ourselves on our engineering and our innovation, and annually we're, we're investing approximately $6 billion dollars uh, per annum in research and development, uh, you know, and that's actually you know resulted in us having uh, in excess of twenty five thousand patents, right? Which is really important to us as we continue to invest in in, in innovation. Uh, for for us, Chess, then our, our people are our absolute priority, uh, and you know we've been fortunate enough to win the number one great place to work uh, globally uh, for the last. Uh, two years uh, and uh, exciting for, for me that Ireland has actually been the number one place to work for the last three years. Right? So that really um, does demonstrate the commitment and, and the people promise internally in Cisco, but very much how we also look to impact positively 
uh, outside of Cisco and in the communities where uh, we are located. You, you know, and a number of years ago, we changed our, our global purpose to powering an inclusive future for all, uh, you know, which is part of the announcement that we've made in Ireland relating to our CDA program and investing in nations to ensure um, that a digital society is an inclusive uh, and importantly, an, an accessible society. Mm. You referenced there the great place to work, which is always lovely to hear. Everybody has heard of that and it's always nice to see uh, companies getting that recognition. Can you just tell me a little bit about the types of roles and the types of jobs that you have within Cisco? Because I think it's one of those companies, everybody knows Cisco, everybody knows the name Cisco, but they may not be able to picture what goes on in terms of a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely, Jess. And I think that's often a, a challenge in the tech industry as a whole, right? In that, you know, people have perception that it's engineering only or I require, you know, a computer science qualification uh, to join a tech organization. For, for us in Cisco, um, you know, we've opportunity across the, the full spectrum from engineering and, 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 and research to sales, marketing, pre-sales, finance, uh, you know, so it's really across the board. Uh, and, and then just we're very heavily engaged around early in career and, and bringing in young talent that we can uh, develop and, and advance within Cisco and, and give people insight into um, further potential within Cisco, but also within the industry as well. Uh, you know, and, and we've partnered in Ireland with relation to apprenticeships, uh, interns, uh, and we're also invested heavily with our network academy. Uh, just to give people access to uh, content industry around uh, upskilling, reskilling, and, and really understanding the potential uh, within uh, tech, but, but importantly within Cisco as well. Am I right in saying that you as an employer, as, as Cisco as an employer, doesn't necessarily require uh, multiple degrees and letters after employees' names and so on? Because I heard you mention their apprenticeships, for example, um, so is that you as an employer casting a wide net to get different levels of experience, different viewpoints, different walks of life within the company so that you as, as the employer and indeed the company can reap the benefits of that? Yes. So for, for us within Cisco, that full spectrum diversity is really important uh, when we look to recruit and bring in and grow our teams. Uh, you, you know, and there are certain roles that will require you know qualifications. You know, in relation to programming or coding. But but equally, you know, for us to encourage more participation, uh, we we need to look in, in into other areas as well. Which is why, uh, yeah, we're we're engaged with. Uh, apprenticeships and and looking at early in career and different ways of bringing talent into our industry, um, you know, and that enables us to also support a community maybe disadvantaged. Uh, so so we do partner with second level schools and and also third level to look at different ways to provide access, um, you know, to all of our our community, which is really important, um, you know, for, for for us and for as an industry. Yeah, and this kind of ties into uh, what you were launching this week in terms of the uh, CDA, which you mentioned, which is the Country Digital Acceleration and the partnership with the Western Development Commission. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, and there's probably a couple of things there, Jess. So I'll start with the research, then we can go to the CDA program and what we're looking to um, you know, invest in here, here in Ireland. So um, we partnered with the Centre for Economics and Business Research, uh, and, and that research shows there's a potential 28 billion opportunity for Ireland by 2030 if we can create that more inclusive digital society. Right? And that, makes, that means that we need to make sure that everyone is connected that everybody is enabled, uh, that we digitize all industry, uh, but also that we look to digitize uh, elements of, of public services as well. Uh, you know, so we in Cisco, looking at that research, we, we are committing to help realize this opportunity. Um, and, and part of that is the expansion of our country digital Accel acceleration program. Um, and that program here in Ireland um, is really investing in partnerships, projects uh, and initiatives um, across the country to make sure we realise this opportunity. Yeah, sorry to jump in, but could I just ask, can you give some real-life examples of the benefits of this? Because I think sometimes people can discount themselves from these types of conversation because they think, oh, I'm not savvy enough when it comes to technology to, to reap the benefits of this. Uh, so could you maybe just give some practical, real-life examples that everybody could benefit from? Sure. And firstly, Jess, I, I will admit our industry does love an acronym. Yes. <laughs> we, we, tend, we tend to have a lot of them. Uh, you know, so, so absolutely. And it was really important for us as part of this announcement to have rubber on the road so that it wasn't just you know, a discussion around an intent. It was that actually there was live projects in place. And if I look to our previous version of investment, specifically around the, the pandemic and where we invested in local indigenous business, Jess, uh, there's two great examples. Um, one is Davra. So an Irish company, you, you know, who, who looked to develop applications around our WebEx platform. And we, we came across a need for governments in a remote environment to be able to vote online, right? Which, which hadn't occurred before. So, so we invested CDA uh, funding into DAVR to support their development of what is now WebEx Legislate. And um, the first customer was actually the Senate uh, in, in America. And they have now gone on to sell that platform to governments around the world, right? Uh, another great example for me, another Irish company, Every Angle, uh, we have a, a platform called Meraki, which is a cloud-based networking platform, uh, a component of which is CCTV. And if we go back to the pandemic, you know, there was an issue with people wearing masks, and then there was a further issue of people wearing masks correctly, where some people like to put their nose out or, or not cover their face properly. So every angle developed software on that platform to detect uh, mask wearing or not and inappropriate mask wearing. So if somebody wasn't wearing it properly, their first customer again was actually outside of Ireland where they won a multi-million dollar contract in the US and they have now gone on to sell that, that platform in partnership with our Meraki platform globally. Right? So there's two great examples of investing locally. Uh, as we look forward and, you know, and the key themes of the research and also aligning to the national digital strategy. Um, we're, we're investing in, in um, some really innovative projects uh, in partnership with the WDC. Uh, and um, the, the first one of those is, is on Clare Island, where we are um, developing a pilot around uh, connectivity to the citizens in Clare Island, providing a, a mesh connectivity whereby um, the residents there can have wearables monitoring those who might have um, a health condition. And if 
uh, attention or consultation is required, initially they can avail of a video health facility that we will install on the island so that they can have video diagnosis with um, a doctor or a clinician on, on the mainland. And the real impact of that, Jess, is we're, we're bringing the service to the person as opposed to the person having to catch a ferry and maybe drive them to, to a hospital or to a doctor. Uh, you know, in, in this scenario, we can um, care and diagnose remotely and only if required then would the patient have, have to travel to the island. Um, and, and also with that ecosystem, we're looking at other innovations of using drones to, to deliver medicine to the island. And, and really this is an initial phase and we will continue to look to, to other areas uh, to, to develop and improve that remote uh, health opportunity. Uh, Ennis Town is, is another uh, example for us where we are partnering with Ennis Town and WDC again, and, and many others, and I need to emphasize, there's a great example of public-private partnership in, in all of these uh, examples. And the, the first priority there is to look at a smart town platform, and we will uh, enhance the, the traffic flow uh, by providing real-time data on parking availability uh, and when to come into the town, but equally when uh, people are visiting they can get real-time data on events, promotions, um, you know, areas that may not be as busy as others if, if there's, um, you know, busy footfall and, and really trying to enhance the individual experience when visiting Ennis, but also then from a, an emissions perspective, reducing the CO2 output from people circling the town looking for, for, for parking, uh, you know. And, and then another key area for us is the investment around education and we have launched new skills programs that will help address both basic digital skills for everyone uh, in, in Ireland, but then also uh, higher level um, work-based digital skills, uh, you know, using our Network Academy platform, uh, but also the, um, the Skills for All uh, platform, which was launched recently too. Yeah, as I list you... yeah, as I listen to you sort of list off all of those different projects, you know, from healthcare, getting people access to healthcare, which could take pressure off our healthcare system, uh, insights into the traffic and how we get around our cities. All of these projects have benefits beyond just the technology. You know, honestly, I'm a tech fan, so I love having IoT and connected technology. I think it's great. But in terms of uh, just being a normal human being on the planet, not necessarily interested in technology, there are benefits as a result of this investment. Absolutely. And for us, you know, it really is to ensure, you know, that that digital society, as I mentioned before, is inclusive and accessible to all. You know, with a great program like the National Broadband Initiative, everybody will be connected. We now have a great opportunity to look at the value add and the services that we can deploy on that network, you know, to really enhance people's day-to-day experience. And that can be as simple as the basic skills, Jess, of you know, advising people how to surf safely uh, on, on the internet uh, and how to access banking online, shopping online, right up to supporting uh, our schools and our teachers on, on digital content for, for students so that they are enabled for, for um, you know, a pathway to a career. Yeah, I was struck earlier on when you said you didn't want this to basically just be a wish list or a vision board. You wanted boots on the ground. Um, where and how can people get involved and put their hand up if they do need help in terms of upskilling or engaging a bit more in Ireland's digital society? Absolutely. Well, the initial platform skills for all is available today. 
right? So that, that's now launched, yes, and that is a self-paced mobile-first platform so that people can, can access as they have time for, as, from very baseline um, capability right up to content on cybersecurity and, and IoT, which is actually a, a great career opportunity um, that is blossoming presently, but, but will continue to grow. And if we look at IoT, you know, today we have 12 billion approximate uh, devices connected to the internet. By 2030, there will be 30 billion, right? So, so that element of connectivity, as you've referenced, is going to triple uh, by, by 2030, which brings phenomenal career opportunity uh, in IoT itself, but cyber and network and, and all of the uh, associated uh, industry there. Yeah, skillsforall.com is that website. Um, Shane, I just want to ask you briefly, I suppose, as the the lead in an organization such as Cisco, um, how has it been from your own team's point of view? Obviously, we're emerging from the pandemic. Uh, there was a dramatic shift in the ways that we were working, regardless of uh, who or what you are. Uh, how has that transition been fr- from your side? Yeah, and just, you know, we're very fortunate in Cisco in that, you know, we develop the networking equipment, the security equipment, the applications, and most importantly, the, the collaboration platform. And, and we're really proud, actually, that, um, you know, a lot of the software and APIs for our collaboration tools, um, WebEx, are, are developed in, in Galway, right, which is which is great for us in, in Cisco Ireland. Um, in relation to, you know, moving remote and then looking at hybrid, Overnight, we moved 70,000 people remote, right? And, and due to the capability and connectivity we had, the, the organization didn't, didn't miss a beat. Um, but as we look forward, it, it's very clear now that people have enjoyed the element of remote working, equally looking forward to get back, getting back to the office. So hybrid is what we uh, believe to be the, the future working model. And um, yeah, you know, we're continuing to work with our teams to understand what that culture looks like and, and, and to really develop and support our teams uh, to, to be able to realize the, the upsides from remote, but also you know the in-person experience as well and um you know we, we've had a lot of in-person activity over the last two weeks especially with the launch of cba and it just reminds people the importance of that in-person handshake in-person conversation and, and just reconnecting with our teams our staff our customers and our partners great stuff well look i i always enjoy talking to uh, yourself and your colleagues at cisco that was shane herity md at cisco ireland shane thank you so much for joining us here on news talk thank you jess thank you very much tech talk on news talk with vmware free your employees to work more securely from anywhere visit exertus.ie forward slash vmware all right we're going to stick with the notion of looking ahead looking to the future because in 2024 the digital services act will come into play i'm joined now by peter bolger who's head of commercial and technology at ey law ireland to talk through what we need to know when it comes to uh, DSA because it is one of those topics that like GDPR uh, as it draws closer we are going to hear more and more about it. So Peter before we get into the nitty gritty can you just give us a bit of an introduction to this because uh, it's another one of those terms that gets bandied about but not everybody fully knows uh, what it's about so uh, what is DSA? Yeah great question uh, Jess and, and thanks for inviting me on. 
I think maybe by way of context, um, the way I see it is the Digital Services Act or DSA is probably the um, biggest piece of legislation that's that's hitting the online world um, since the e-commerce directive, which came back uh, or came out in 2000. And really, it's a reactive piece of legislation that's um, really um, backward looking and looking at our shared experience of the growth of social network um, marketplaces over the last 20 years. And it's looking really to regulate the new risks and challenges um, that are affecting the users of these services um, and society generally. So the issues that the DSA is looking to regulate um, are really issues around illegal content, um, online disinformation, and then other societal risks. And really probably the one that I would call out um, would be risks to minors um, when they're online. And explain who this is going to impact the most. Is it going to be me as an end user or is it going to be the companies behind the services that I use when I'm online? I think it's going to affect both, but in different ways. So if we look at who who it's directed at, um, it's directed at um, platforms and search engines um, uh, that, that most of us would, would use day to day. Um, in terms of how it's approaching regulation, it's take to, taken a tiered approach. So the heaviest regulation is targeted at the very large uh, platforms and the very large uh, social or sorry search engines. Now, it's not that all platforms are unaffected or that all search engines would not be affected. So there's a job of work uh, before the DSA uh, becomes affected or effective in 2024 for those uh, companies to be compliant. But from a user perspective, what it does uh, become effective, uh, users should be seeing benefits arising from the obligations under the DSA um, on those companies. And those, those benefits uh, will, will, be, will be various in terms of how that will look the day after the DSA comes into effect. Mm. So people will be familiar with this big lead in, um, you know, the famous example is GDPR. That was something that there was a big information campaign around. It impacted the companies and how they dealt with our data. But we, the consumer, were there to reap the benefits of it. So between, what what needs to be done? Let, let's look at, say, the um, the social media companies, for example. What how do they get their house in order between now and when this comes into effect? Yeah, so from a social media um, platform perspective, and there's quite a few uh, obligations that are going to be triggered uh, with the DSA. And when you're looking at it from the very large uh, social media platforms and the very large uh, search engine platforms, you know, these companies are looking at this. And in many respects, a lot of what's been introduced, they're doing um, in accordance with their own terms and conditions as it stands. But there are new things in here that they need to implement um, and that, that also will affect the user experience. So there's a little element of um, both the platform experience uh, in terms of implementing it and what the users will see. So firstly, when it comes to um, new, new regulations, there's notice and actions uh, that, that need to be implemented for 2024 20, uh, in respect of illegal content that may appear on their platforms. So the procedures uh, to implement uh, those regulations uh, need to be put in place. Um, 
Also, for the very large platforms, um, there are more onerous obligations that they need to comply with, such that they need to assess um, their platforms at a systemic level. Um, and that really is where the DSA is looking at the societal impact of those platforms. Now, if we're to look at it at both a platform level and what the users may expect, and in that sense, what might need to be built out uh, to comply with the DSA and what users might expect to see in 2024 is, is, is more um, specific items. So in dealing with the platforms, the T's and C's that people might look up if they choose to should be more transparent. They should be more clear um, in terms of how you interact with the platforms or the social media companies. But also the design and build of the user interface may change. So, for example, there's new rules on the use of dark patterns. So for some of your listeners, it may be interesting to know what, what's a dark pattern. Well, what's outlawed under the uh, DSA when it comes into force is the design or operation of interfaces. So that could be the website. It could be an app. Um, you know, that that sets out or not even if it sets out, if it has the effect of deceiving a user or, you know, if it distorts a, a user's choice on a platform. So that could be, to be clear, a social media platform or a marketplace. So that's where you're, you know, you're going online to buy something. So that could be where something is designed or just has the consequence of its design, even if not intended, of making a user or do an act that they didn't intend or nudge them in a certain direction. So that could be, you know, maybe it's easier to sign up than it is to cancel something or perhaps giving the impression that maybe there's not an awful lot of product left uh, to purchase when in fact, in fact there might be more uh, left than the, the person thinks. Um, so things like that need to be implemented, but also I would expect that users will see these differences uh, come 2024. And then when looking at the, you know, what, what, what the DSA is seeking to achieve and, and what I mentioned at the outset, which is, you know, things going viral maybe or in the context of disinformation, there's rules there that, that may need to be dealt with by platforms, be it you know, a marketplace or in the context of your question of a social media platform about recommender systems. So that's when, you know, whatever platform someone might use, um, you're looking at your feed. And, you know, some of us might think of, oh, why am I being fed this particular feed or why am I seeing certain items? So, you know, certain online platforms, you know, they, they have to set out more information as to, well, why are you seeing the information that you're seeing or, um, you know, what rules are being applied um, that, that's feeding that particular information. Mm. And, and the last one that I think is interesting, and this again would be something, you know, that, that needs to be fed into platforms and dealt with prior to the DSA coming into a force, is more granular rules about the advertising we might be seeing. So we're all used to, I think at this stage, I don't think it's an overgeneralization of, of seeing ads. They may be targeted ads. We may have opted out of targeted advertising, but it's calling out more granular rules of, well, if you're being served advertising, you must call it out as an ad if it's not clear. That's, that's really not entirely new, but you do have to call out who is advertising. And if different, and this is kind of interesting to me, if someone else is paying for that ad, you're entitled to know that information by clicking through the ad if it's someone different. And I think really that's driving at the whole culture 
or at least the perception of perhaps disinformation that's out there. And lastly, an entitlement as to, well, why did I get this particular ad? So it gives a lot of, it puts a lot of effort on the design and build or changes to platforms. But that's tied in with what users should actually see uh, come 2024. Yeah, and I think you've kind of covered an awful lot there that will give peace of mind to people, I think. You know, for example, the paying of the ads, you know, who who is paying for advertisements on different social platforms or any online platform? That's something that came to light and was heavily scrutinised uh, around the time of the referendum on the Eighth Amendment. And obviously it's always a hot topic when it comes to politics as well, any type of elections. Um, I, I want to touch upon something you mentioned briefly there as well, though, that it'll be easier to cancel services. So there are many subscriptions. We all have subscriptions coming out of our ears now, whether that's for newspapers, streaming services, uh, you know, Amazon, Kindle, whatever it is, there are so many subscriptions out there. And as you mentioned, very often, it's so easy to sign up. You just click once and all of a sudden, uh, you get maybe get two months or three months of a free trial and it's charged thereafter. And sometimes it can be tricky to cancel. Sometimes you have to go online um, and fill out a form. Other times you have to be on hold. You have to physically call a telephone number. Will all that stop when the DSA comes into to effect? Will it be as simple? Will it be a one-click cancellation? As someone who, who uh, has the long-standing battle with that particular issue, I, I can't quite say that, that those days come to a complete end. So when it comes to platforms, um, when it comes to marketplaces, um, there is a developing area of law. It's been happening for a number of years um, where, where the whole area is becoming more regulated. Um, and in that context, a, a, a platform can be defined as different things. So in the context of the DSA um, and these rules on dark patterns where, you know, it's whether you call it sleight of hand, it doesn't, it's, it's actually not relevant. It's, it's the effect it has. That's what the, the legislation is, 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 is looking at. So it won't necessarily in every case that someone's dealing with, you know, be it subscriptions or, or all of those scenarios that can be very frustrating for consumers, it won't necessarily apply to every case, but it will apply in some cases, certainly to prohibit those behaviours. So it's not it's not necessarily just the magic bullet. OK, well, that's a shame because it would be good to have a magic bullet in that instance. Um, and another point I, I just want to touch on is that some of the companies, some of the big companies will say that over the last number of years, they have worked to become more transparent about the terms and conditions, about giving consumers eyes on how they're being targeted by ads. Uh, just this week, I did a video on Instagram talking through how to turn off the personalization, for example, if you don't like that on the ads. Is it fair to say that some of the companies don't have as much work to do as others? Or is it a case that everyone can kind of reach the golden standard by embracing the, the rules and regulations under the DSA? Yeah, I think each company is going to have a different experience. And I think that's acknowledged in the DSA. So firstly, the way the DSA is structured, as I mentioned briefly earlier, <clears throat> is not all of the, the rules apply to everyone. So, you know, the very large uh, platforms and search engines have the, you know, the, the, the full gambit of the regulation to, to deal with. Uh, secondly, it acknowledges that, you know, the relevant companies, you know, they're doing stuff today. This isn't, you know, uh, being put into a market where nothing has been done. So the baseline approach that it takes is that, you know, these companies can continue what they're doing in accordance with their own terms and conditions. To your point, Jess, you know, it's not like moderation doesn't happen. It's not like certain content 
you know, isn't already um, prohibited on platforms. So all of that's fine. Um, secondly, you know, the companies can uh, monitor as they have been doing. They just need to, to the extent it doesn't cover what's under the DSA, they need to include the requirements of the DSA. So what each of these companies are doing are for those platforms, perhaps, you know, that have yet to examine if they're caught by the DSA, they're going to have to go through a process uh, where they go, well, do our procedures as they are currently cover the requirements of the DSA and do we have to do more? Now, within that context, there are requirements under the DSA that are just new. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, platforms do have for, you know, they have to um, do annual transparency reports. So there will be something that some things that are new for everyone, and I think each each of the relevant companies will have uh, their own unique experience in in complying with it. But certainly, the very big ones um, will already um, have made significant efforts towards compliance. Mm, well, look, I, I don't doubt this will be uh, the last time we will talk about this. There is plenty to digest, but that is a good introduction if it's your first time hearing about the Digital Services Act as to what it entails, how it will impact you and indeed the companies that we interact with online. Uh, Peter Bolger of EY Law Ireland, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.